Amen. You appreciate the worship team and them leading you. Yep, you can thank them. <clears throat> it's good to have uh, more of you back, and, and uh, who knows whether this is, uh, you're here because Christmas, you decided to just, you got a little cabin fever, you got out of the house, whatever it is, we'll take it. And uh, if you're online, then we want you to know that as we move into spring, we'll have room for you, and we'll add our second service as quick as we need to, uh, we'd love for you to see each other. We believe that that's important and that we want to do that as much as we can and as soon as we can and as safely as we can. That's really a key and it's important for you to know. Um, a couple things that I want you to know about this week when it comes to our church and some things going on. Uh, two things in particular, Christmas Eve services are happening uh, this Thursday, Christmas Eve, of course. They're all online. We're doing three, three o'clock, 4.30 and 6.00. And so those links you can find either in the e-news, we'll send another email out midweek. Uh, you can find them on our website if you're not sure where to go. And, uh, and we, think you'll, uh, I th- we think you'll be brought together in a unique way, even though we're dispersed through the services online. One of the things we're doing, a little bit unique this week, we haven't done this since the beginning of, of all this mess, pandemic and stuff. Uh, we're doing an all-church uh, Zoom meeting. I guess we did one, but this will be a little bit different. All-church, we're calling it Prayer and Prepare, and uh, we're gathering on a Christmas Eve morning, um, 8 a.m. The link will be on the website. It'll get emailed out today, and you'll get another email midweek just to remind you. It'll be brief. We're just hanging out for a moment. We're going to pray. Just you know, Before you get into all your festivities and the stuff happening with Christmas Eve, Maybe just take a moment. Maybe you'll get to see a few people you haven't seen for, I don't know, maybe eight, nine months. And uh, just, just get a chance to get a glimpse of, of what they'd look like at 8 a.m. when they know they're not going to go out. Um, but then we'll pray together and, uh, and then send you about your day. It won't be a very long time together. But we just want to dedicate the moment, the day, everything that will follow uh, to God. And so if you want, hop on and, uh, and experience these things this week. Of course, next week we'll be right back here in this room at 9 o'clock. And uh, we really appreciate those of you registering and letting us know you're going to be here. If you haven't been, you can do that. That'd be great. That helps us know when it's time to go to two services or whether we need to knock a wall out for a particular Sunday, okay? Um, So we're wrapping up this this series this week and actually next Sunday too. But we're trying to tie some things together and just sort of unite every, every place we've been over the last four weeks. And it's important, this, this fourth Sunday of Advent. And, you know, Advent is really all about anticipating Christmas. You know, we say Merry Christmas all through December, ever since Thanksgiving, and, which is a good thing. But honestly, Advent means that we sort of push it off a little bit so that we understand what it means to sit and wait and hope. Because we don't know how to hope. We don't know. We don't know how to do without. If we want it, we get it. If we want to go, we go. Now, the last nine months, of course, this is why hope is so important and why this matters so much. Um, The last nine months, we have had hope just completely stripped from us because the things we've wanted, we can't have. And where we want to go, we can't go. And what we want to do and who we want to see, we can't. And so hope has been pulled from us in a very powerful way. And so many of us have found ourselves, me included, stuck. And in this place of being stuck, we pick up all kinds of things that are the enemies or really kind of chip away at or eat away at hope. We pick up bitterness. We pick up anger. 
We pick up anxiety. We pick up fear. All of these things just take hope and shove it aside and, and minimize it and eliminate it from our life. I can't imagine a year in which hope could be more important than this year. And if you're a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just trying to check faith out, or maybe you've been away for a while, or maybe this year has driven you to your knees in a very unique way, then our hope is that you would take a different examination of the hope in your life. So we've been saying all month long, how's your hope? Where is your hope? Tell me about your hope so that you and I could spend some time reflecting and thinking, just putting our hope on the table in front of us and the people that we love and asking questions. What is it that you really hope in? What are you really putting your weight on when it comes to your hope for the future and your life and all of these things? And if you haven't done that, uh, it takes courage to do it. I hope you will this week. Maybe you'll have a little bit of time to think and reflect before things get crazy. But I hope you will. I mean, hope is so important. When Paul talked about hope in 1 Corinthians 13, you heard the passage just a bit ago, part of it anyway. He listed hope as one of the three most important things. He said, these three remain. Paul's talking about out of all the things that will be left when this whole deal is over, these three will remain, faith and hope and love. And we know what faith is. Faith is that we believe, we, we trust that God is who he says he is and that he'll do the things he said he would do. This is faith. I believe. I trust. And we know what love is. Love, especially in this context, this word, this Greek word all through the New Testament, this Agape love is a, a practical expression of God's acceptance and kindness toward us. And so we give that same agape love to other people. But hope, hope is different. Now he says, to be sure, the greatest of these is love. And of course it is. And we say that often here at Castle Oaks. But hope is what gets you from Monday to Tuesday. Hope is what causes you to believe that we're moving from here to there and there is better and we can get there together and you can get there. Hope is what, what causes you to move forward in a way that allows you to take faith and love and pour it into and permeate the relationships that you have. That's what hope is. Hope is more important than optimism. Hope is more important than your ability. Hope is more important than so many other things. Hope will move you forward. Hope gets us to a different day. When we started, we, we quoted this, this verse from Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Even the author of Hebrews later would connect faith and hope together as being really inextricably linked. They're almost like one and the same. And as he connects these two, we believe in what God is up to. He talks about things that we haven't seen yet, things that we have not experienced, things that are down the road, this future thinking. There's one little word in this verse that points to really the question we've been kind of pounding on and, and holding and gently discussing and hoping that your heart is reflecting on 
one little word in this verse that everything hinges on. And it's this word, what? Now, confidence is in what we hope for and assurance about, and he repeats it, what we do not see. This is the question, isn't it? This is the big question. This is the question you ought to be wrestling with. What do you hope in? What do you put your hope in? What are your hopes pinned on? What reality or understanding about what's coming in the future? What is your hope in and on? What, what are you counting on God for? If God's written a little promissory note to you and he said, this is it, this is the deal. You can take it to the bank. What's on it? What is on it? You can go, you can, go, you can cash it and you just get what you get and you know you can count on it no matter how tattered it is or how long it's been in your pocket. You carry it with you and this is my hope. This is what I know God will do. He will come through for me in this way. What? And so when we've asked those questions, that's what we're wondering. When we've asked you to ponder these things, how's your hope? Tell me about your hope. We said last week that hope requires relentless, gritty, and intentional work. This is the question we've wanted you to wrestle with. What? If hope is a puzzle, some of you do puzzles throughout the winter and the Christmas season, you pull one out and put it on the table and there's one last piece and when you can't find it, you know, somebody in the house is going to pay, right? Because you know it's got to be here somewhere and you find it in the carpet underneath the table and you, ah, finally. The last piece of the hope puzzle is what? That's how important it is. Without it, it's incomplete. The picture doesn't fit. You're not sure what it is. What is it that your hope is pinned on? And what I've been doing all month long, wrestling with you, pondering, making notes. If somebody were to ask me, like Peter says in his, his letter, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And so I've wondered, if somebody asked, what would I say? How would I say it? I may say it a different way, a hundred different times. But what is it? How would you answer the question? What do you hope for? Is it some pie in the sky picture of way down the road, just all about heaven? Is there something more than that? Oh, I hope there is for you. What is your hope about? I'm getting ahead of myself. That's, that's, that's for later. The, the author of Hebrews, um, he also says this. So we have this hope as a what? An anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It's a beautiful verse. You put these two verses from Hebrews together and there's this picture of hope that is full of confidence and assurance. It's firm and secure. It's an anchor. And I love this idea of an anchor that sinks deep into the deepest part of the ocean and holds us even when above the waves are moving and the wind is blowing, but this anchor keeps us from moving. Don't you wish you had that? Don't, aren't there some days when you think, oh, I do have that. This has been good. And some days when you think, I wish that were me. I wish that could describe me. It describes exactly what I want. I mean, there've been times over the last year when I have had this and I've had everything that Hebrews, author of Hebrews and other parts of scripture describe, but there've been other times when my hope have been pinned on something flimsy or earthly or something that has nothing to do with what God is up to. My hopes have been pinned on it. And then it just evaporates like a mist. And what happens when that goes? So does my hope. And when that occurs, 
I find myself, well, we said it the first week, hopeless. You know what that feels like, don't you? If you had a little hopeless this year, it's hard. I mean, if you haven't, you're not being honest with yourself, and I bet you are because you're honest, thoughtful, reflective people. Hopeless feels like, ugh, I don't like how things are. I'm not sure our circumstances are going to get any better. And I feel like I have no control over what's going on with me right now. Have you felt that way? Come on, I felt that way last Wednesday, my goodness sakes. Those are those three components that make hopeless really a big deal. I don't like how things are. I don't think it's going to change. And I have no control over it. I can't tell you how many times I have sunken into what feels like at least a medium-sized pit of hopeless. Things are out of my control. I don't like where they are, and I don't think it's going to get any better. This is why hope matters so much and how deep and important it is. And if you remember, I mean, it is the Christmas season, so tie back in to Luke chapter 1 and 2. This is how Zechariah felt. Zechariah finds himself near the Holy of Holies. Gabriel shows up and says, you're going to have a son. And he's like, I am not. I mean, that's not what he said, but that's what he meant, right? He said, how can you, how can you make me sure of this? You know, and Gabriel put him in timeout, didn't he? Couldn't talk. I think he couldn't hear, but whatever. He was in timeout, and he was kind of pulled off the playing field. Why? So that he could take his hopelessness that had been built into him for years, decades. He and Elizabeth had hoped. Are we going to have any offspring? We hope. Is there somebody to carry on the priestly line? We hope. Are you going to have a baby? Are you pregnant this time? Are you pregnant this time? We hope. We hope. And time and time again, Zechariah would say, I don't like how things are. I'm not sure they're going to change. And I don't feel like I can do anything about it. I've got no control over this. I'm hopeless. And that's where he was. Hopeless. And he had guarded against disappointment. So his heart became hard. Some of you have done that this year. The only way you can get through is to say, I'm just going to quit hoping. I'm just going to quit. It's the only way. I don't know what's around the corner. If a truck comes around the corner and runs over me every other week, I'm just going to quit going around the corner. I'm just not going to do it anymore. So what Zechariah did. So he hardened his heart and he went through the motions. So much so that when Gabriel shows up, he's like, nah, maybe. Are you kidding me? We learn from Mary what it's like, right? You remember this? We, we, we put Zechariah and Mary together in Luke 1, and, and we learned what has to come before hope can really take root. It's surrender. It's, it's this idea. When Mary said, after Gabriel came to see her, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Say it with me. Let it be to me. That's what she said. And for hope to really take root, surrender has to be in place. Because without surrender, you're too busy fighting the fight. Without surrender, you're too busy dealing with the bitterness that resists in your, in your heart, resists hope. 
without surrender, you're too busy just allowing anxiety to take over and trying to regain control. And you're forgetting, you're forgetting this three elements of hopelessness that hopelessness means that I don't like where I am. I'm not sure it's going to change. And I don't think I can control anything about this. Well, that sounds like most of your life, doesn't it? And so Mary says, I will surrender. I'll let it go. That means we open-handedly, maybe in a counselor's office, maybe with good friends, maybe just you and the Holy Spirit and God in the room, open our hands and say, I see where you've taken me. I see what you've done. I see where I've been. And I don't blame you, Lord. I'm not angry with you anymore. I I set anxiety aside. I trust you. Open-handed. It doesn't happen once. It happens thousands upon thousands of times for everybody that walks with God. I open my hands again and I say to God, I trust you. And I give up control. I want it so badly, but I trust you. It's all about you, God. It's not about me. Let it be to me. And when we do this, God says, now we can get to work. Now we can go. I know, next Wednesday you're going to curl your fingers around the events of your life again or on the past that you blame me for or on the hurt in your heart that's caused you to harden it so. That's okay, we'll deal with that then. It's okay, it happens all the time. And then we open up our fingers again and say, I trust you, God. I know I didn't yesterday, I hope I will tomorrow, but today I trust you. That's what we'll do. Mary says, let it be to me. And Mary teaches us these lessons all in the first chapter of Luke before anything's ever happened. I mean, last week we learned this, that, that Mary said he has through her little prayer, the Magnificat, this, this, this song that she sings when she goes to see Elizabeth. You remember it? You can read it for yourself. And she just recounts in her life and in the life of Israel's history how often God has been faithful. You just sang about it. You just sang those very words. All my life, he's been faithful. And some of you this week have recounted events and stories in your life because of last week, the message, just trying to build some roots because we said the roots of hope grow from the seeds of remembering. If I'm surrendered, then I remember. Why? Well, because God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And you, in your heart, believe that what God has done, he will do, and he is doing right now. And so if he has been faithful, he will be today, and he will be in the days to come. This is why remembering is so important. Now, some of you remember, and when you remember, you remember the pain and the struggle and the anger, the anxiety. And so you got to go back one, right? You got to go back to what? Surrender. And so we do this over and over again. Ah, I wish it were linear, a straight line, but it's not, is it? It hasn't been for you. It isn't for me. That we replow ground that we need to plow over and over and over again until it gets deep enough to become fallow for these seeds to grow and take root. This is what we are working through when we go through pain and struggle and unpredictable, difficult times. But really, the question is the what? What are we hoping for? So we gave you at the very beginning of the series this this definition of hope. Hope is, say this with me, 
anticipating and working toward better days ahead. Try it one more time like you've seen this before. Okay, you ready? Hope is this, anticipating and working toward better days ahead. The definition is an important one. You'll find it all through scripture whenever it talks about hope. But in the early 90s, a psychologist, psychiatrist, he, he mined his understanding of human nature and discovered this definition of hope. Those are my words, but this is what his research tells us, that it anticipates. I see it coming. I know that there are better days ahead, but I am working toward, meaning I have some agency. I know the path I need to take. I am working. I'm putting my hand to the plow. I picked up the tool. I got the shovel. I'm reading the book. I'm doing the work. Why? I'm moving toward, and this is the tough part, this is the what, better days ahead. Are there? Are there better days ahead? Now we're back to the big question, right? What is your hope pinned on? What are you hoping for? That your business will turn around? Is that what this means? That your marriage will get healed? That your kids will finally be obedient? that your 401k will finally outperform the market? Better days ahead. What does that mean? And what does it look like? Luke chapter two, we'll go just a little bit into it because, well, the most of it we save for Christmas Eve. But when Luke begins to tell the, the context and the story, really, of Jesus and his birth, it starts like this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. This is the beginning of Luke talking about the all-changing, cataclysmic, unbelievable, culmination of history when Jesus is about to be born. This is how Luke does it. And when I read Luke's gospel, I think, Luke, you could have done a little better, right? I mean, doesn't it feel a little tedious to you? Now, maybe it doesn't because you're used to it and you've heard it for years. But when I read this, I think, I think I'm reading a history book and I just fell asleep before I got to the third verse. In those days, there's a leader, and there's a census, and there's a Roman governor, and everybody's traveling. I, I mean, you're talking about the redemption of mankind. Language could soar, couldn't it? I mean, language could move us and transform us. I mean, I like the way John starts his gospel, in the beginning. And he tells this story of grandeur and power. Luke is a historian, a medical doctor, and he gives us details, and it feels a little tedious. It feels a little like Monday, doesn't it? It is. In fact, it's just like your Monday. It's just life happening. It's just like your Tuesday. Got to get up. What's, what's, what's first? Oh, I don't even know. I guess coffee before I can think. And I guess we got to go to work. And I guess somebody's got to make breakfast. And somebody's got to feed the dog. And somebody's got And this is your day. This is your life. And this is what Luke is describing. 
I really don't even like the NIV. I, I, I like the King James Version for a lot of reasons. And that's not usually the case, but the King James has some things in it that modern translation took out. The King James says, and it came to pass. That's in the Greek. I mean, not the English, of course. But the Greek has this, this phrase that says, and, and history was happening. It's a great phrase. And time passed. I mean, doesn't this describe your whole existence? And time passed. That's it. You go to the mirror and you look and you find another gray hair, another wrinkle or another five pounds or whatever. And you think, and time passed. And there it goes. And this year that has felt like a decade, we wish we could have said back in May, and time passed. And Luke just says, just as if it were as normal as can be, and time passed. The whole another Greek phrase says, in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar. Now, the original language also has this word in it a few times, and it goes on to mention it another few times. All the world should be what? It's our favorite word, isn't it? All the world should be taxed. There's not a modern translation that has the word tax in it, but the Greek word really does refer to this idea that Rome was counting you so they could take your money. That's why they wanted to know. They don't care how many people live in Jerusalem or Judea or Galilee or any place else. They don't care. What they want to know is how many people can we reach into their pocketbook, their, their wallet, their pocket to get their money. In fact, it says it again. They came, all the world should be taxed, and all went to be taxed. And it says it again, the other two verses, everyone into his own city. And it came to pass that in those days there went out a decree from Caesar that all the world should be taxed. Luke, the historian, the doctor, he gives us a picture of the tedium of the moment. Come on, you've got Joseph and Mary trying to figure out their life. Mary, who's pregnant, how do we explain this? Who do we tell? Joseph, having been visited by Gabriel, surrenders his life to God, and now he's got to raise a boy that isn't his natural-born son. Can you imagine a young man trying to get his mind around this idea? Not to even think of their parents that we don't know hardly anything about. Do they not tell them? Do they tell them? Do they accept it? Gabriel didn't see them that we know of. Maybe Gabriel did and we just don't know it. I don't think so. These are the weighty issues they're dealing with. The same things you've been dealing with. How do we pay our bills? What about school? How is this going to affect our kids and their socialization? How do we figure out how to find a way forward? What about health? Do we take the vaccine? Is it healthy to do so? Do we go to the family event? The next two verses that follow these two, before we even get to the birth, are all about travel, right? This idea of just where they're going and not going. You've had the same questions this year. Do we go to mom's? Do we quarantine first? Do we quarantine after? Our son who's in California, this will be the first Christmas of his life that we have not laid physical eyes on him. And he said to me, dad, I can't come home. He said, you've had a year. You're a little, you know, surgery and such. He said, I'm just worried that I'll bring something home that shouldn't be home. And he makes a decision to not come home. 
Ah, tears and sadness. It's the tedium of this year. And that's exactly how Luke chapter 2 begins. Like I said, the next two verses are all about travel. And the, the phrase in the King James is that Mary is, and this is the phrase in the King James, it's really, really good, great with child. I think how Mary would say it is, oh, great, I'm with child, right? I mean, the, the phrase doesn't mean pregnant. It means way pregnant. That's the phrase. Can you believe that the Greek has a phrase or a word for really pregnant? Of course it does. Because she was. So who's going? Who's going to Bethlehem? Maybe Joseph thought, I don't know, maybe I'm not going. I mean, you know, who's going to know if I don't go? I just live in this backwater town. Who's going to care? Well, you should go, though. Rome's asking for it. Was Mary going? I, I can't take her. Are you, well, she's got to go. Look at her. You can't leave her. Well, get the donkey. And off they go. This is the tedious, particular, detailed nature of the first Christmas. And it's not that different from yours. When, when Luke says... And it came to pass in those days. I think about now. I think about our moment in history now. What will be said about us? What will be written about us? What will be remembered in the stories that your family tells about this year and how you navigated it? Where you put your trust? Where you put your hope? What drove your anxiety? What broke some relationships? What healed others? And in those days, it came to pass. What's coming to pass for you? What's it like? I've asked you to ponder your hope and to wrestle with it. But I don't think it's very fair for me to ask you to do something that I'm not doing. Don't be mistaken because I'm a pastor or whatever. Uh, that doesn't mean that I always have the answer ready. And so I, I've made notes all month and written down things about my hope and it, have refined it and gone back to it over and over and over again so that you and I could wrestle together. And I hope you've been wrestling with the question, where is your hope? What is it in? And so I wrote down a few phrases, and I, and I want to share it with you before we're done. And maybe, if you're not sure, if your hope is weak, or maybe it's anemic, or maybe it's just confused, or kind of in the woods somewhere, you can borrow mine. That's all right. My hope. My hope is in God and God alone. My hope is not in a vaccine. I, I want an effective vaccine. I mean, I, my heart breaks for the hundreds of thousands of lives that have been lost, at least due in part to COVID-19. Nobody in my immediate family has passed from it, but I have many friends that have experienced it and it breaks my heart and I, I want there to be effective vaccines. But my hope is not in a vaccine. My hope is in God and God alone. My hope is not in an election. It's not. I, mean, I, I find politics incredibly interesting and 
just unbelievably entertaining, honestly. And as I watch it, and, I, and I, I just wonder about what will happen. Still, we're wondering about what will happen, right? I mean, we're just watching this and, and reading headlines. I'm reading all the same news you're reading. I don't care who ends up in the Oval Office. I'll be honest, I really don't. I vote, and I care a little bit about all of that outcome, but mostly I just vote and then let God take care of the rest. I mean, this is what I figure. If God can use Nebuchadnezzar, Pilate, and Herod, he can use just about anybody. And so we'll see. But my hope is not in an election or in any political process at all. My hope is in God and God alone. Now, let me be specific about what that means. I believe that Scripture says explicitly that God is about the business of renewing and restoring and redeeming all of creation. I believe that's what he's been doing ever since the fall. He's been moving toward that conclusion. I believe that God is about the business of making all things new. That's what my hope is in. And I believe he's been doing it ever since then. And it started in earnest in a new season when Jesus began his ministry And I believe that we get glimpses of that as we go, but I believe that ultimately we will see it all in its fullness, in its culmination. Let me be even more clear. I don't believe that God promised that you would have a life without suffering. I don't believe that God promised that your life would even go well if you obey him. I don't believe that God makes any promise about your health, your wealth, your happiness, your contentment, that you would have obedient children, that you would have everything that you need. I don't believe that promises in Scripture at all. But I do believe that Scripture says explicitly and clearly that God is making all things new. And he's doing it now. In our midst in our presence and it's happening before our very eyes and I believe that ultimately that we will see it in all of its fullness it hasn't happened yet but it will and we get glimpses of it along the way and these glimpses move us forward and until Jesus establishes a new heaven and a new earth, we get to participate with him in bringing it about. Did you hear me? Until Jesus establishes and completely completes the new heaven and the new earth for all of us to see and participate in, we get to participate in some small way in bringing every bit of it about. You remember what Jesus said? He said when he began his ministry, the kingdom of heaven is at hand it is here and it began when his ministry began Christmas was just the prelude to all of it but when Jesus began his ministry kicked off with his baptism the kingdom was here completely no but we will get to see it eventually but until then you and I get to participate in building the kingdom 
One little decision, one little brick, one little act of kindness and love and mercy at a time. And we make all things new. We get to be about the business of redeeming all things. Every relationship, every purpose, every goal, every business, every heart, every mind, everything we get to participate in. And you and I get to join him in that work. And when we do, amazing things happen. So my hope is in God and God alone, the kingdom that will come and the kingdom that is being built now. And so you get to do what you can to build it in your family, at work, when you walk through the store, when you give up a parking space for somebody else. You get to participate in every moment that you walk and live and breathe. And when we do that, when you forgive somebody who's wronged you, when you offer a kindness when what you want to do is get your way, the kingdom grows just a little bit more. And you become an answer to what Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember what he prayed? He said, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, finish it with me, on earth as it is, the kingdom of heaven is here. So what's the best way for you to do that? You live out the words of Jesus is the simplest way. You forgive. You love your enemies. You use what you have to change the world, to meet the needs of people who have less than you. You decide that you will put yourself and your needs behind the needs of someone else and you'll meet their needs. This is what causes the kingdom to grow. And the only motivation, the only reason that I can think of that anybody would want to live that way is because you have a hope that is squarely, solidly, foundationally built on the idea that your hope is in God and God alone and what will eventually be built. A a brand new, a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. In fact, Jesus is about the business of building it now. It got built some this week, by the way, you cared for somebody that didn't expect it. It got built a little stronger this week by a a man who in our conference room received his first dentures for the very first time. And his response was, I think I can get a date now. (laughs) It grows every time you love like Jesus. My hope is in God and God alone. Where's your hope? What is it built on? Come on, what has distracted you lately that has pulled your attention away from who God is and what he's ultimately going to accomplish? Where have you been just fiddling and playing and maybe enjoying your own little adventure through the woods of bitterness and anxiety and anger and fear? Come on back, come on back. Our hope is in him alone. 
And so maybe said about us, and it came to pass in those days, in the year 2020, that a pandemic almost destroyed the faith of many, but not you. It almost took away the hope of many, that racial injustice almost made you take your eye off the ball, but you have been working towards equality for all people that God loves ever since you became a follower of Jesus. And that election almost made you think that your hope could be in an earthly kingdom, but you have been wise enough to know that that is not where your hope belongs. And it came to pass in those days that these people had their hope squarely founded, firmly rooted in trusting God and what he's going to accomplish. And so, Lord, we ask right now in this moment, this, this Sunday before Christmas, that we would meet you in this place, that our hope would be on you and you alone. Lord, we believe that the roots of our hope are in surrender and remembering, but also in the hard and intentional and the gritty work of answering this question. And so, Lord, may we answer it thoughtfully and faithfully because we believe this, that you have been faithful all of our lives and you have led us to a place today where we can declare that faithfulness. But, Lord, we also believe and trust that you will make a way And that way forward, we believe, is about chiefly about Jesus reigning fully in our hearts. Us loving the way you love us. Us giving grace the way you have given us grace. So Lord, forgive us from distraction. Forgive us for the ways we have wandered this year. And yet, even this week, some of us will find our hope migrating to things that don't matter. Lord, just gently nudge us. We find you faithful. We know that you will make a way. We declare those truths today.